especially with real estate right now, a lot of like millennials and Generation Z are bitching about like the boomers and the older people that could buy houses for cheap. And now their houses are worth millions of dollars. And now all the millennials and Gen Z are basically priced out and they have to rent. And, you know, they're they're like, wow, I could be putting this towards a mortgage and making money. But now I'm renting because I don't have enough down payment. Now the interest rates are crazy. So a lot of people in our age are bitching about how our parents and grandparents had it right. They paid $800 a semester for school or whatever crazy stuff they paid. Right. Yeah. And um, I was talking with some people about this, some older people and it's basically like, okay, let's, let's cut the bullshit. You guys had it easier for the traditional route, right? If you listen to your peers, you listen to uh, the mainstream media and you did what you were told, you're going to end up pretty damn good. Right. Obviously there were some hiccups, the dot-com bubble and then uh, the housing recession and 0809. But when I was talking to them, I'm like, okay, Let's agree on that point, okay? I know you want to bitch about the avocado eating toast, you know, uh, people, the millennials, but uh, it, it's true. It's a fact. So they have a point. But you didn't have the opportunity to live my life, okay? You didn't have the Uber, the Airbnb, the Google Translate, a phone that can do everything. I can go to any foreign country in the world and thrive, right? I can live like a god of $1,500 a month if I want to, right? You guys didn't have these opportunities. You didn't know what the world was like outside of uh, USA. You couldn't get remote work. Okay, You couldn't earn money while you were traveling. So with times, there always comes like opportunity, right? So maybe the traditional way, I mean, not maybe, it is. It's not good anymore compared to what our parents had, compared to what our grandparents had. But there's other avenues to move that you can maximize and leverage You know what you were given and the opportunity that's presented in this world right now. Back in bold, the credit man has turned into the, the money man today, Mr. Zach Rapinski. You're going to chat, uh, money makes the world go round, Zach. So what, what are we all going to discuss here? Let's let's uh, do a little outline quick. Yeah, we are, you know, it's just going to be fun talking to Albanian Rune right now. Uh, just talking about money. I think it's fun to understand what the banking system is about and kind of what, uh, what privilege I guess Americans have on the banking system, how it's all kind of, you know, changed over the last couple hundred years. It's just interesting to understand and ways to, you know, leverage it like we've spoke about before. Yeah, the the podcast we did, um, Other People's Money About Credit was very, very good. I think uh, it was a good crash course in uh, leveraging credits. Uh, a couple of people said some good things about it and I think you spoke really good. So congratulations, Zach. But uh, yeah, money. Especially now. I mean, it's freaking crazy with um, uh, the dollar worth more than the euro. Um, the pound is crashing. The dollar milkshake theory is coming true. And uh, I just think it's really fascinating, especially doing this traveling, you know, dealing with um, foreign currencies and getting the best credit cards. So you get the best rates and, you know, what something costs here versus what it costs in the States. Uh, it's just I've found a different uh, perspective and perception of, of what money is living outside the United States. So yeah, I'm excited. I think we can just kind of shoot the shit and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you have a good, um, good experience with understanding how much the dollar gets you in other nations. And I think that even people in America, they don't understand the value of the dollar outside of it. And they don't understand how they can leverage it inside of it as well. So that's why I think like, of course, having the knowledge of what the banking system is, how America's gotten to this point 
how inflation's gotten to this point, just understanding the printing of dollars and, you know, what it used to be backed by and who owns the banking system or the banking system owns us. Hey, Kanye. Hey, relax, Kanye. Be careful. So, so, you know, it's just, it's good for people to be knowledgeable about it because I think it's important, especially, especially with your experience, like just understanding how you can use the dollar in other countries to your advantage. Um, yeah, I mean, well, the crazy thing is too, so I, I don't know, we're going to get into it. Like what the fuck is money? And, and uh, I mean, is it, you know, backed by anything and we're using it for exchange of value. But the crazy thing right now about how trippy this is, is the dollar is inflating in the United States and it's deflating outside the United States. So if you're an American citizen or you're someone that earns dollars and you live outside the United States, you're living very, very nice right now. But if you live in the United States and you make dollars, you're not. So it's like, what? How does this make any sense that, you know, I thought money is money and it's going to give me this sort of value, but it's totally not. You know, we've been seeing the Forex traders probably the past 10 years that kind of blew up that space. And, you know, uh, you know, a four hour work week. Uh, Tim Ferriss's famous quote is earn dollars, spend pesos and compensate in ru rubles, the Russian currency. So he said that 20 years ago. Right. And, you know, playing with money. And playing with these different things is, is like the key to, I think, leveraging uh, the most out of, uh, you know, what you earn and, and how you're compensated. Like I, so I saw this recently. This is fascinating. I might actually still have the photo actually, because I tried doing a little pop-up by myself. Yeah, here it is. So this dude, Will Martin, so he looks like a little American dork in his profile photo. And he was trying to sell me on creating uh, like uh, TikToks, you know, the new ones where they have like the words put on there and, you know, everyone and their mother is doing it. Andrew Tate, uh, like really accelerated at it. Yeah. And I was like, this dude is not speaking like that correct English. And I was asking where he's based. And he's like, oh, I'm in Delaware. And, and then I looked up like his address and where's LLC is based. And it was in the cloud. Right. So a lot of people set up um, LLCs, uh, you yeah. know, in the Delaware or whatever, not that virtual. Right. And then I got him after this email to tell me he's from Spain, supposedly, right? And I'm like, damn, this dude is like really smart. I've been seeing a lot of people emailing bull perceptions, trying to get work, acting like they're some like innocent young American kid, has a company in, in uh, USA, but they're just trying to earn that dollar and, uh, you know, get paid 10 times more than what they would be paid in, uh, you know, a third world country. So, yeah. um, you know, little things like this are, is really interesting to me. Yeah. And I think, I think we all understand that we're we're moving into a, a creator economy. We're moving into a digital economy. I think people, even like myself, uh, who work, you know, nine to five or corporate jobs are understanding that for us to have that freedom or to even make more money and utilize more money is to have uh, a job that you can do anywhere, a virtual job, a remote job, a digital job, so that you can utilize your money in other countries have way less expenses, first of all, um, and then still be able to get paid for it. So I think everyone's starting to feel this transition um, or to understand this transition, whether you figure out a way to be a part of it, whether you figure out a way to leverage it, um, it's kind of up to everyone as an individual. But there are certain things that, you know, you need to be aware of and that you can take advantage of, which is, you know, why the banking system and the credit system being able to leverage cash that isn't your liquid cash to possibly start up a business or give you some headway into um, doing what that kid did that emailed you, you know, trying a service based business or learning a skill uh, from someone else. So it's important to know that stuff. And uh, I think we all understand that, you know, we're moving into that direction in the next 20, 30, 40 years. 
Yeah, a couple points here. So um, obviously anyone who's traveled outside the USA realizes that uh, the opportunities aren't uh, as prevalent than they are in the USA. But what you're talking about now is like the digital nomad thing on steroids, especially during the COVID and the um, remote working, people started like really getting a taste of what it's like. And, you know, Mexico is having a problem with too many Americans living down there, right? The the prices in Playa del Carmen have shot up. I've heard from the people I met there when I was there, um, uh, you know, a couple years ago in the fall 2020. So the prices are just skyrocketing, right? The locals are pissed because, you know, the Americans are, you know, buying up everything and, But what I'm worried about here is, okay, you know, if we're all going to just keep doing this remote work, you know, a lot of the companies are going to say, you know what, fuck you. I'm going to go hire the India dude for $5 and not pay you, you know, $50. And, you know, maybe hopefully the government steps in and protects uh, American wages. But we know for a fact, you know, like like the free markets and capitalism, like it's going to, you know, not happen like that, most likely. So, that is the worrisome part. I mean, I hope, you know, this digital nomad niche thing that was niche before the pandemic is now becoming mainstream and people are realizing like, damn, if I just make dollars and live outside the USA, I'm going to be set. Right. But I don't know. I think it, it's worrisome. And, uh, you know, where are you seeing that headed, Zach? I mean, to be honest, I think um, owning your own business and having control of your expenses is a huge advantage compared to being taxed by the government. But I think, you know, 85%, 90% of people are going to go the corporate structure. It's kind of what I'm sure you're part, like, understand this as well. It's kind of what's embedded into us ever since we've been born. Go to college, get a degree, work a corporate structure, change jobs every couple of years, slowly make your way up to a VP, something like that. But when you actually, now we're in this digital or creator economy. When you actually create your own business, you can now you know write off or get rid of these expenses um, and take advantage of the tax code of America, which is also a part of you know the banking system as well, which you can take advantage as a business owner. So I think there's a lot more leverage in that sense uh, when you are a business owner. And technically, that's what the greatest thing about that is if you understand America, that's what America was built on. Um, was being able to create your own business and provide that opportunity and freedom. So I think there's a lot of leverage there. It's just, you know, what area you want to go down. Um, how do you, how are you going to leverage it? I think the biggest question everyone has that I always have is what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? What avenue should I go down? Should I try this, that, that? Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of leverage in actually owning your business and being a creator um, and being a business owner in a sense. What are your so thoughts? You think, do you think the same yeah, way? Well, for one, do you think it's a creator economy or a gig economy? Because, yeah, we're seeing the Mr. Beast. We're seeing the Kylie uh, Jenners, you know, become billionaires off content, basically. But that's a very small percentage, right? But even like a, a bold perceptions where I do consulting gigs, right? I built up this thing and it was like a part time fun hobby. And I still consider it that like a hobby. And I do see like, oh, wow, you can do affiliate marketing, you can do consultation, you can uh, get sponsored, you know, you can do a, a couple of things like this. But it's not like, you know, to make a, a, a substantial living, right? Unless I lived in some just third world shithole, then I could definitely get by off it. But uh, I, I, that's my first thing, the creator in the gig economy. And then you're also talking about, you know, being a business owner and writing off things. And it's clear as day now, if you don't know, the rich people have never paid taxes and they never will pay taxes because they do those same things. You know, they do the trust funds and they, they have the high luxury, you know, artwork and they write off everything and do donations that are 
you know they own and own it's stupid, generation. right? But the, the the person, even if you you know are making a million dollars a year, it's still hard to get into this, right? And the IRS starts coming down. They just hired eighty thousand new IRS agents, right? And they're not going over after the billionaires like they said they are. They have six hundred dollars on your Venmo or PayPal, then you're flagged. I mean, dude, it's fucking bananas. They're coming after the small people and. You know, the best thing and the easiest thing for someone that wants to play with the taxes is to do the foreign income exclusion thing, right? So you stay out of the country for 330 days of the year and you pay about 7% in taxes of $122,000 and it goes up with an inflation each year. So that is like, you know, if you really want to do it for the, the small type person, I mean, that's your best way, I think. I mean, you can do depreciate real estate, of course, you know, the real estate game, you can do a lot of different things with the taxes. But, um, you know, your whole point about, oh, I can get the land rover because it's a certain size and i can write that off for one hundred fifty thousand. that's like the typical one right and uh you know it's it's a lot harder than p people think too and you gotta pay a tax person right like um you know i've been dealing with uh these foreign uh, expat tax people and you know they're charging two hundred dollars for 30 minutes and then they're charging this for this percentage and like it's uh it's a different kind of game like i do think it's worth it in the long run, but it's definitely not as easy as the Instagram real estate is. So the creator in the gig economy and then, you know, writing off shit is not that easy. Yeah, no, I agree. It isn't. Of course, you know, you, we are not financial professionals. <laughs> what we say is all, you know, your smoke and mirrors at this point. But yeah, you want to have obviously a, a reputable tax professional if you get into that. Um, but it really doesn't matter until you're actually making, you know, multiple six figures. Like you said, you don't want to utilize real estate as a tax haven until you're, you know, really making over seven figures. Um, so you can, you know, cut off two, $300,000 or things of that sort. But yeah, you're right on that. In terms of the creator slash gig economy, by gig economy, do you mean like just having multiple online jobs? I think we were talking about that before. Like Yeah, Ubers, Fivers, Upworks. Yeah. Um, I'm not, yeah. I don't got benefits, that kind of bullshit. <laughs> that's most people. That's how we were talking about before, how they're, you know, BS in the job statistics. You said another thing about they post the same job 30 different times, but also yeah. the same people are employed. They're fucking Uber drivers. They're not employed. Like, they're, they're making, I heard like, if you actually do the math on the Uber, you know, what, what happens to their car, you know, like a depreciation of their car and, and all that kind of stuff. They're making like $3 an hour, $3 a ride. They, they think they're making money, but in the long run, the expenses are piling up with the oil changes, the car wheel changes. I mean, people are like, these, these gigs are not sustainable, especially with inflation rising. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> so that's what you mean by the gig economy. Yeah, I think. I mean, those are challenging, of course, but, and I don't really know how to speak to that as much. I think that's just people trying to get by in terms of that. I guess when I think of the gig economy, as I think of, you know, software engineers or people who have $150,000 jobs and they have two or three of them because they know they only have to put two or three hours of work in each one. They're making, you know, multiple six figures at that point. They're just taking advantage of the remote work. Yeah, remote work. Yep. Yeah. But what I mean by the creator economy is I think now, um, I think now in today's time, like we were talking, like we're moving into just this digital age, everything's kind of moving digital, but for you to, you know, have a strong, uh, business or a longevity within your business, I think you have to be a creator. I think you kind of have to build a personal brand. Um, because I think these advertising platforms are starting to get convoluted where you can't just throw thousands of dollars in there and still get a major ROI. I think it also comes down to everyone's online. 
and building a personal brand, people are going to relate to you much better instead of, you know, typically our parents 20, 30 years ago, they could open up a restaurant, build a build a brand within the city, and they'd have a long term business that would provide them um, money and profit over a certain amount of years. But now everyone's just sitting at their phone at home, looking at other people that they trust online that they might follow on Twitter more than they trust, you know, their neighbor down the road. So like, that's what I mean by a creator economy. I think the transition of business owners is kind of a, you kind of have to be a creator or a personal brand. Um, and it actually helps you a ton if you, you know, were to do that. Like a Hermosi who just like throws out his brand everywhere on every single platform. People are just going to pay him more. He talks about how he like three times his business just by, and just by three times in his content, just because people will come to him to buy his product or buy his services or be a part of his team. So that's what I think is the longevity is just getting people to trust you by being a creator, putting out content and kind of building that personal brand. That's what I mean by kind of an online presence. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, like Rogan and um, uh, who's the dude that owns the the Mavericks? He always goes on Cuban. social media. Just, yeah, Cuban. They all talk about this. Like, so basically yeah. when the AI and the robots are coming, like what is the last thing it's going to take is like the human creativity, the branding, you know, you know, they're, they're YouTuber. They like the artist. Like, of course, like I, I agree that building a personal brand is huge. I mean, it's one reason I do bull perceptions a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, going back to, I had a very good point relating to, oh, okay. So especially with real estate right now, a lot of like millennials and generation Z are bitching about like the boomers and the older people that could buy houses for cheap. And now their houses are worth millions of dollars. And now all the millennials and Gen Z are basically priced out and they have to rent. And, you know, they're they're like, wow, I could be putting this towards a mortgage and making money. But now I'm renting because I don't have enough down payment. Now the interest rates are crazy. So a lot of people in our age are bitching about how our parents and grandparents had it right. They paid $800 a semester for school or whatever crazy stuff they paid. Right. Yeah. And, um, I was talking with some people about this, some older people and it's basically like, okay, let's, let's cut the bullshit. You guys had it easier for the traditional route, right? If you listen to your peers, you listen to, uh, the mainstream media and you did what you were told, you're going to end up pretty damn good. Right. Obviously there were some hiccups, the dot-com bubble and then uh, the housing recession and 0809. But when I was talking to them, I'm like, okay, Let's agree on that point, okay? I know you want to bitch about the avocado eating toast, you know, uh, people, the millennials, but uh, it, it's true. It's a fact. So they have a point. But you didn't have the opportunity to live my life, okay? You didn't have the Uber, the Airbnb, the Google Translate, a phone that can do everything. I can go to any foreign country in the world and thrive, right? I can live like a god of $1,500 a month if I want to, right? You guys didn't have these opportunities. You didn't know what the world was like outside of uh, USA. You couldn't get remote work. Okay, You couldn't earn money while you were traveling. So with times, there always comes like opportunity, right? So maybe the traditional way, I mean, not maybe, it is. It's not good anymore compared to what our parents had, compared to what our grandparents had. But there's other avenues to move that you can maximize and leverage, you know, what you were given and the opportunity that's presented in this world right now. That directly relates to this travel. It directly relates to this creator economy because that's exactly what it is. It's this online world. I've made a fucking life through it now, basically. And I can do whatever the fuck I want in different places and live, you know, the lifestyle that I thought I needed $50 million to, to have to live. So that's my point. 
Yeah, I think you make a good point. I think it really relates to, and I know we both read this book, is The Millionaire Fast Lane, um, which is just finding ways to take advantage of the internet. The problem is, is the internet's fried our freaking attention span. So we go from one thing to the next. And I think everyone's had that issue is, you know, we constantly bounce around. What should I do? Or we try something and we fail and we give up and we try something else. So the problem is, is actually having an intense focus for one or two things and trying to double down on that and take advantage of that um, for your own sake. But then to double back down on, you know, our family and our grandparents who the traditional nine to five, the traditional work schedule, how it actually benefited them a lot goes to the book, The Millionaire Fast Lane, which is, you know, I think a lot of our parents might talk about investing in index funds or a Roth IRA or just a long term compounding investment. Um, compounding is amazing, first of all. But second of all, like if you have a million dollars 40 years from now from an investment, like an S&P 500, that million dollars is likely going to be cut in half by the time you retire. So my thought process is now is why not invest the saved capital that I have instead of putting a certain amount each month into an investment, you know, vehicle, why not invest it into yourself? And instead of earning, you know, 5k a month, you invest do a skill that can make you 10 or 15k. The compounding effect on yourself and building a skill is going to be much faster than waiting 50 years for something to compound, you know, eight to 10% a year and deal with inflation, which we can eventually get to about the banking system and the dollar and how, you know, how that is. But I think that is kind of the importance of the economy we're in right now is that creator economy and economy and trying to figure out, you know, ways to leverage it and different ways that our parents, we might have a bunch of advice thrown at us, but it's a lot different now than it was 30 years ago from what everyone is used to. Yeah, hundred percent though. I mean, the world's flipped on its head technology only gets more uh, amplified as the years go on and things, you know, go, I mean, compared to when we were in high school compared to now, it's, you know, a whole different thing, right? Like the TikTok people and I see my younger sister and like, it's just, it's just wicked, very different. Uh, but they go back to opportunities, right? So like, okay, the traditional way, that our parents grew up with that. I was like, okay, this is good. Um, that is not really good for us anymore. But I said, there's a lot of opportunities, right? People couldn't live my life, you know, back in their age uh, now, or, or they couldn't live this, this life I live. They couldn't live it back then. And uh, we go back to these opportunities. So you had the tulip mania, you had the dot-com bubble. I know I skipped a, about a hundred years and then you had the freaking crypto, right? The dot-com and the crypto thing was the same yeah. thing. People making a shit ton of money. So that's uh, 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 two sides of the same coin basically, right? And that's what I'm, like, I'm getting to is, you know, time changes, like the same structure. I think there's principles to these structures that work, right? That our parents taught us, but we have to adapt to the times a hundred percent. And Right now, I mean, the times are earn the dollar and spend it outside the USA, basically, right? Or leverage with the credit and, you know, take it as much as you can from uh, the bank that is USA and, and go from there. But, uh, you know, for all these young people that bitch, like, yeah, we weren't given the best situation from what we were taught by our teachers, from our parents, from, you know, whoever the fuck else. But that's on you now. You're the, you're the Internet. You have the Library of Alexandra, Alexandria in your fucking pocket so you can figure it out. You can figure out a different way. Tons of young people are getting rich, okay? If you don't want to do dances yeah. on TikToks, 
well, that's your fault, okay? Because they're getting rich. They got a lot of money from that, right? So, but there's yeah. different ways through this internet that no one in their mother could ever imagine would have happened. So you need to stop being a attention deficit, you know, retard and, and, and watch a YouTube video for more than five minutes and you'll figure things out, okay? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point. It's just really about focus. I mean, it, it's, you gotta, I mean, there's so many different things you can go, so many different avenues you can go. Um, but really it's just about choosing one problem with me is I've tried way too many things. I think everyone has probably done the same thing. There's a lot of different, um, a lot of different things you can try, but it's really about, you know, sticking to something for, you know, six months to a year and trying to, to get the actual investment back or, you know, actually push through some stuff, but let's, let's bring it right back to the actual money conversation. Cause I do want people to understand a little bit about how the US dollars are created, what a reserve currency is. Is the Federal Reserve like government back? Like, what is that? So I do want to bring it back to that and just give some everyone just the foundation of what money is just so that they understand it and kind of how we're in this economy, this inflated economy, and how the US dollar has so much backing to it now and how you're being able to leverage it. So fine with that. Yeah, did you watch that raid? Delio video that went viral like a couple months ago talking about the history of the reserve uh, currency and where the United States is at compared to, you know, past uh, reserve currencies. Do you watch that video? I did not watch the video. I, I read his book, though, The Changing of the World Order. That's better. Uh, yep. So that I mean, that is really confusing if people don't understand uh, the dollar and what it is. But I guess to give everyone just a start. um I mean, in like 1944, there was like the Bretton Woods Agreement, which basically, basically, they, the whole world agreed that the world reserve currency would be the U.S. dollar. At the time, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold, a tangible asset, which meant basically the U.S. owned the most gold. Um, so they had the right to be the world reserve currency. Well, also because um, after Europe got destroyed, they were the former superpowers of the world. Um, they didn't want to put it in the hands of the Soviet Union. So everyone agreed like, OK, hey, USA, they're going to be our, our big daddy because they got unscathed throughout the, the chaos that happened throughout you know World War One and then World War Two. So Europe was destroyed. Who used to run the world. And then uh, they're like, OK, who's it better with the Americans or the Soviet Union? You know, obviously, they didn't want to go down the communist route, even though a lot of Europeans in a lot of different countries were trying to push towards that way. And luckily, we had the great CIA, if they were created back then or whatever they call themselves before that, that uh, infiltrated a lot of that bullshit and, and made it so Americans stayed on top and, you know, capitalism you know, ruled. So anyways, keep going. Yeah, no. And this is why I like you a part of this, because you're big into history. Um, so you can really kind of tie some things together and why they might be going on politically, where I'm just going to give you kind of the straight answers and make it very, you know, foundational. Um, but really, by then, like I said, you know, the US dollar was backed by gold. It was backed by something. And then in 1971, Nixon basically decided they were going to take the dollar off the gold standard, which means it's backed by nothing but like we talked about is our world powers, our army, our, our militia. And, you know, by then, of course, America had spent a ton of their money to back up their militia and back up their army. People were scared of America. Um, so we're backed by basically infinity. We're backed by air. The dollar is backed by air at that point. 
Um, so that will just explain why, first of all, they're printing money like crazy. And who prints money? The, Fed. the, federal, the federal Reserve. The reason why everyone thinks the Federal Reserve is a part of the government is just the name. But really, the Federal Reserve is technically a private institution owned by stockholders. Those stockholders are the banks, all the banks, the banks that have been around since the early 1900s. Early 1900s is when uh, they started kind of creating paper currency and loans and credit cards and things of that sort. Um, early 1900s but yeah they're basically it's basically owned by the banks which is well, why the bank, the bank of england was before that too and the venetian banks too so like it was there's been some families involved with this for a long time that have yeah. had you know banking powers like i mean there's some you guys gotta watch kings and generals um it's a great uh, youtube history channel and they talk about like some of these powerful banking families that have created wars have profited from both wars um have lasted different countries, different uh, family dynasties uh, that have their hands in a lot of different things. So like the banking industry is freaking trippy. And like, that's what they say. Like the richest people, you don't know. The richest people are the ones that, you know, control the money, right? Because if you can control the money, you control everything. And, you know, that goes into the Rothschilds and that goes into, you know, a bunch of the bankers that, uh, you know, I'm not getting conspiratorial. I know we have Kanye going crazy right now, but, uh, you know, that's a, a big piece. Like the, the banking families have been around for a long time and some have popped up, you know, the JP Morgans and, and, and so forth in the early 1900s in USA and all that kind of stuff. But it is uh, fascinating who, yeah. So you, like you said, the Federal Reserve who, who controls, uh, you know, mo monetary policy for the United States, the dollar, the world reserve currency is not owned by the government. You know, it's owned by yeah. bankers. So they own the government technically. Uh, they basically just swap bonds back and forth on interest. They try to earn each other money. That's why they collude with each other. So when things, when boom and bust happen, that's why they bail out the banks. That's why when banks fall, they bail them out because the banks technically own their distribution of money. And this is why it goes back to our conversation of nine to five corporate jobs. When you're paying tax on your corporate job, you're not paying tax to the government. You're paying tax to pay off the bonds that the Federal Reserve has against the government. So you're paying off the debt in between a private institution and the government. You're not really, that's why you see all these funding. Like when you see America's sending money to Ukraine, that's not even your, really your tax dollars. That's just the government taking out a loan with the banks to send money to another country. So you think you're, technically you think you're voting on like, oh, my tax dollars should be increased or decreased because it should go towards this way or this way. No, the government's deciding that on their own. It's like playing a game of pickup basketball without refs. You think they're going to be trustworthy and honest? Someone calling a foul. I know you, Rooney, I've played pickup basketball with you. Like, you know, you're going to take elbows and no one, there's no refs. That's literally what politics and government and the banking system is. There are no refs. They're doing what they can to make the most money that they can and pull the most money out of your pockets. Is really the name of the game. Okay. I know that was kind of a rant. But, but, but first of all, though, let's, let's be honest, though we have to give some credit to these people for making it uh, so prosperous for us Americans. Maybe, you know, that's not the main goal objective now or in the past, but because I think they've used America and I think they're right now they're trying to milk it dry, of course, but because mm -hmm. of how they've used America with the reserve currency and, and all this kind of shit and, 
they made Americans pretty prosperous. You know what I mean? For sure. Especially yeah. if you live outside the United States right now. But, you know, through our history, you know, you don't see big suburban, you know, homes that your average person can afford in Europe. Okay. A suburban home in the USA is like six uh, European homes, right? And obviously their cities weren't built uh, after cars. They weren't built for cars. Okay. So, you know, they're ancient cities, they're walkable and whatnot. But like uh, I've talked about before, like you don't see crazy mortgages here. A lot of places pay cash for their homes. Okay. You don't see uh, many credit cards used. Okay. A lot of people use cash or debit card. And uh, so, you know, when people start all oh, the banking and this and that, I'm like, well, first of all, you should be happy because they did a lot of favors for you, making you, you know, the strong, you know, yeah. country that has a very powerful currency and you make the most out of any world, in any country. You know, you, you could say, OK, Zurich and this and that, but their cost of living is way crazier. If you do cost of living and what you earn as an American, you're making the most money in the world and then you can go spend that money elsewhere, especially now, like it's God's money. So uh, we need to make that clear that even if they have been playing games and a lot of people have been getting rich from it, yeah. it has benefited us, the reserve currency, of a thousand percent for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely has. That's the whole point. That's why I'm saying, you know, it's good to understand because you can leverage it. So one thing as well, like this banking system we were talking about that's happened in England, that's happened in centuries and hundreds of years before. I mean, it's been used before and every single time it, it busts, you know, at some point because the debt ceiling gets too high. Um, what people will see from other countries is they see bank runs. I think this is important to discuss, like bank runs. Like you see in other countries, people are running to the bank asking for their money. And I feel like Americans are like, oh, this would never happen to me. This wouldn't happen to me. It's the same system. You put in $100. <laughs> yeah, you put in $1,000 to the bank. The bank only has to hold at minimum 10%. Some banks are different. Some are 3%. Some are literally less than 0.1%. So technically, they could only, if you put in $1,000, let's say at maximum, they have to hold $100 in your account. They take the other 900 and they can lend that out. Now, for an example, if they lend that out to someone who, which we have a lending system in terms of mortgages is a good thing, like real estate. Let's say someone goes to that bank and wants to take out a mortgage. Um, they end up paying the homeowner with that loan, but the bank loaned that out with someone else's money. And now that homeowner receives that money in bulk, puts it in their bank. And now that next bank can lend out 90% more again. So that continues to happen. And so really our money supply is like 30 to 40 times more just off of pure lending strategies, how the bank lends their money. So that's why you have limits on a, on an ATM where you can only take out $700, $1,000 unless you ask them for more. That's why you have to have 48 hours notice to let a bank know you want something more than five, 10 grand because they don't have the money. Technically they do, but they can only let out a certain amount to each person or a certain amount each day uh, of what they hold. So I think that's super important. It's, it's crazy. This is like a, a, a basic thing and barely anybody knows this. Everyone thinks, oh, the bank has all the money and we're fine because they see like, you know, a bank heist they see all the cash and you know from the movies but this is fucking bananas and i saw this firsthand because obviously in the past you know you we know old people even in usa who hide money in their home underneath their bed right the older people that are like i don't trust bank because they've seen what happens in the past right but mm -hmm. uh, i saw this when the ukraine war um went on in poland everyone was rushing every bank 
There was huge lines. I got videos of it because they've been through so much shit in Poland. And they're like, I'm taking my money out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not playing around. This is going to hit us. And, you know, seeing it firsthand, it's like, damn. Like, and then it makes you start realizing, like, what you're talking about, about how they're making up money and they're not holding your money. And they're using your money. And, and you know, your money's not really safe in a bank, even though you think, you know, you've been told your whole life it is. And, uh, yeah, that is a trippy point, And it's pretty scary. It's just, it's just compounding. It's con- like they're just continuing to lend out the same money that was already lent out. Like think about how many mortgages in the past year, past two years have happened. That's just lending out money. It's I not. Mean, how is that? I mean, that's similar to a Ponzi scheme. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I mean, it pretty much is. But, you know, it gives us it's the same thing of like, why wouldn't you leverage the bank if they're going to lend you money? You know, why would you use your liquid saved up capital? A lot of people do that. You know, they want to put 20 percent down on a house. Why would you put 20 when you can put five? And then leverage that loan to take out another loan or things of that sort. So it's just, if they're going to lend out the money, um, why not, you know, use it to your advantage. But that's also why, like right now, people who don't understand like the rising interest rates, the rising interest rates are just so that you don't spend money and it slows down the spend of money. In a sense, they're trying to slow down inflation. So, I mean, I won't talk to that too much because I don't know too deep into that, but it's the same thing. It's like the rising interest rates are just trying to get you to slow down your spending so that they can technically slow down um, the prices. Yeah. The prices and stuff. Yeah. And the inventory and everything. Um, Yeah. hundred percent. Like they're talking about the rates before they jumped up, like they were giving out free money, how low the historically low historically low interest rates. And you know, all the real estate agents were like, it doesn't matter. This is free money. Okay, you're yeah. getting money because inflation is going to make it, you know, you're going to make everything ab- about this. And it is uh, trippy. And it, obviously, we, we don't get taught this. Okay, you got to go find this by yourself. No school is going to teach you. And it's just funny because all the rich people, this is what they know. This is what they do. And this is how they take money from you. You work hard. You save money. You put it in the bank. And then your, your money gets sent to 500 other people. And uh, they make money off it. Wild. Yeah. And when they print money, guys, this isn't money they have liquid. They're just putting numbers when they decide to print money. Like in 2020, they printed 40% of the overall um, currency of the U.S. dollar in a year, 2020 to 2021. When they printed that, that was just brand new money that they just plucked out of thin air. And they just started putting numbers into the computer, into the Federal Reserve. Like it wasn't they didn't create the new money. They just threw it out there. Um, It was just brand new. So it wasn't like liquid capital they pulled from anywhere else or whatever. They just threw it in midair. Um, so a lot of the times it's just numbers on a screen. They're just inflating the numbers. And that's why it hurts our buying and our uh, cost of living. Because there's so much extra money. Just- well, this is, cra- this is crazy too, though. Because when Brazil sends uh, uh, coffee beans to Japan, Brazil is the best coffee ever. Guess what money is used in exchange? It's not the one. It's not the Rihai, wherever the fuck they call it in Brazil. It's the U.S. dollar. So when they print the money, they're literally exporting inflation because everyone else has to pay their debts in dollars, right? So they're going to keep buying dollars, but we're getting money thrown to our people with the, the what will we get, the stimulus check and uh, all that kind of stuff. So we're getting that free money, but we're exporting the inflation to these other countries who need to buy dollars to pay off their debts. Right. So that's the power of the reserve currency. I mean, it's it's freaking Very, crazy. Any other country. The reserve. Other, go ahead. 
any other country that prints 40% of their, you know, uh, liquid money in the market would be Zimbabwe. You know, they'd have yeah. million dollar, uh, 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 dollars, you know, but for us, yeah, inflation hits a little bit, but not compared to the rest of the world. And this is where the dollar milkshake comes in because everyone else, if the U S dollar inflates, everywhere else is inflating worse. And it, it here's the, the crux of the dollar milkshake theory. It gets to the point where people, uh, have to default on all their debts because of inflation and their currency is so weak and they need the dollars. And when it gets to the point, all these countries collapse, all the dollars get sent back in the USA. And when that happens, no more exporting inflation, no more any of that. And the dollar goes freaking skyrocketing. But before, before that happens, though, I mean, all these other countries are going to go default. And then obviously we have the U.S. military that can kind of step in and say, no, no, it's not, it's not going to happen. So that's the good thing about our our tax dollars, if you, in quotes, that are paying for, you know, what we got to the military to protect everything. So, yeah. And I think that's a good point because we didn't even kind of dive deeper into that. But a world reserve currency means that every country has a world reserve bank or reserve bank where they are required to have a certain amount of their denominated um, currency in U.S. dollars. So when when countries are doing business with other countries or large organizations who are government backed or, or whatnot, they have to do their transactions into us dollars. So that's the importance of the world reserve currency, which is, you know, every country is using the dollar, but when you inflate it 40% and let's say you just use like a random tangible number of, you know, the country has $10 billion and, you know, reserve currency. Imagine just cutting that 10 billion by 20% and saying it's now worth 8 billion. So there's certain countries, and this gets a little bit deeper, there's certain countries who since 2008 have been slowly siphoning off of the US dollar and into a bunch of gold. And that's Russia and China, which, you know, the other two superpowers, which the US is competing against, which is there's a lot of these political stuff going on. They've been doing that since 2009, 2010 taking the reserve currency and buying gold with it, buying something tangible. Now, I don't know if it applies to the dollar milkshake theory. Will other countries start slowly backing off the world reserve currency? Will they be able to? Those, those countries are strong enough where they can, and they're not necessarily scared. But that's like another crazy thing to think about is, you know, when, when they start doing the yuan maybe as their currency of export, with like Iran and Dubai and all the oil, that's kind of what they're doing is they're starting to export and import things with their own cash instead of USD. Will that flip? Like, I'm curious to see that change. Obviously it's not something a few years is going to, it's going to take, you know, 10 to 20 years for that to actually happen where we see maybe the U S dollar collapse, like you're talking about, but that's well, kind of a crazy thought process is thinking and kind of understanding that stuff. Yeah, well, you look at uh, Gaddafi, Libya, look at Saddam Hussein and what they tried doing with nationalizing the oil and uh, doing uh, gold back, uh, paying for gold instead of the U.S. dollar, the petrodollar. That's a whole different discussion. But also, yeah. I mean, this is conspiratorial, but, you know, Russia, you're talking about what they were doing. You know, now look at it. You know, you got a war that for the most part is a proxy war between the USA and Russia. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, uh, Russia is getting pretty much destroyed. At least their country is somewhat collapsing. Now, the war is going back and forth, but also Europe is being destabilized, okay? Europe made a lot of uh, friends with uh, China, you know, the past, like, 10 years, okay? I saw it a shit ton in Italy and uh, the Balkans. Um, Huawei, the, 
the phone company. You see it everywhere in the Balkans, Eastern Europe. Um, and now Europe is being totally destabilized. And guess what they rely on? They rely on their daddy like they have for the last 80 years. They've basically been a whole client state. You know, after World War II, we protected them. They've invested in their own social programs because they don't do anything with their military. You know, they, they've given a good life to their people. But the USA, I think, is cashing in now with, with what you were talking about is, okay, hey, we can destroy Russia. We can destabilize Europe. We can take re-control of Europe, more control, and we don't have to worry about Russia no more, right? And it's sending a warning shot to China. Be like, okay, you want to play games? You want to play games with Taiwan? You know, do it because this is what we're going to try to do to you, right? So that's conspiratorial. But like, like I said, Libya, uh, Gaddafi, um, Saddam Hussein, they were all talking about nationalizing and, and, and using gold to pay for oil instead of the petrodollar and, and so forth. So it's a fascinating topic. But and this is why I'm very happy for the CIA. You know, before you, you talk all this shit about the mil military industrial complex and it's so bad. But now that I live outside of the United States, I'm like, damn, thank you. Keep doing that. Even though it's sad, innocent people got to die. But someone's got to be the top dog. And I don't think the USA is just, just going to bend over and and allow that to happen, especially with the largest military. What is it, our, our military budget? It's uh, the next nine below us combined that equals us, the number one. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, the military budget is insane. I mean, that's what's back in the dollar right now. That's why we're printing. But it, I think you, you mentioned kind of a little bit a while back, probably five minutes or so ago, kind of about like the debt ceiling. Like the reason why we print is like, because it's not backed by anything, first of all. And no no politician and no government like is ever going to admit that they're printing too much or they're not going to try to stop it. Because the whole point is they're just pulling it. Every time they print, they're just pulling out more debt. So imagine everyone keeps saying, like, we need to pay off our debt. Like, the U.S. is never going to pay off our debt. Um, just like if you're rich and you take up a bunch of debt, like, you're not taxed on it. Like, the U.S. is never going to pay their debt back. We're a debt-backed society. So they're going to continue taking out money until it just falls, until the dollar collapses in some way. Because that's the only way they can fund somewhat the economy without it literally collapsing in itself on the people. So they'll never want to admit that we want to you know, screw the people over and whatnot. But I'm sure there's something going on behind the scenes. I think it's some type of CBDC type of action, some type of online currency um, that they're trying to swap to or create a massive problem to get people to get on there because they want to own your data in a sense they kind of want to and that goes a little bit further but um if you guys haven't seen anything in the past couple of years it's all about control so of course they're printing money of course you want to leverage it uh but they want to be able to control your actions as a society they want you to kind of um, stay in a circle and keep it that way so i think it's interesting to talk about you know what's next even though it could be a while or it could not you know you never know but it's always interesting to talk about yeah what's next on, on the this money. is the one thing i do think i do think if there are you know some people in charge and the the big golden pig is getting uh um skinned you know united states and they're like okay what country do we move to next and we're gonna collapse this and move on to the next one i can see this but also the point you're talking about is doing the swap and I've seen this, okay, in Scandinavia. It's all credit card. It's all on your phone. Um, the government can track every purchase, okay? They're phasing out money. I think the lowest uh, yeah. money now is uh, $10 in Norway. And uh, they're, they're slowly phasing out money because obviously with money, 
you know, you can money launder, you can buy drugs, you can do illegal, illegal things, you can have privacy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you have a cryptocurrency or something that's, you know, totally on some ledger or some shit, they can see everything you've ever purchased from anyone like a Venmo. Right. And they got like young people hooked on Venmo from the get go. And now they say, oh, six hundred dollars, you need to pay taxes. Right. A lot of people were getting paid from Venmo and not paying taxes. Right. Because it's so easy. And oh, come on, let's just do this this way. But now it's starting to collapse on it. But, you know, this is a situation we're talking about. We've seen it with uh, canceling people. Right. It started with, okay, he's a neo-Nazi, Alex Jones, Sandy Hook. And then it goes, okay, this guy's problematic. You know, he says a couple bad things. And you got the Andrew Tates. And okay, but he's not causing harm to people, but he says bad things about this. So we're going to take him off. And they just started taking off everyone, right? Milo, Yiannopoulos, um, you know, they're going after everyone. So now if we have a digital coin, what are you going to do? You know, if you start saying anything that doesn't go along with them, you know, easy it is to just switch your wallet off and say, okay, you know, you, you don't rely on, uh, you know, PayPal. PayPal will shut people out. They've been doing it since 2014. But now it's going to be everyone using that money and you can't participate in it anymore. Of course, like who wouldn't want that kind of control, that power? If you control the money, you control everything. Yeah, exactly. And that even goes back to the banking system. If you control the money, you control everything. They basically control, you know, the Fed and the government in that sense, the banking system. But I think you make a... Like everyone has recently saw this if you're on social media, the PayPal. Oh, you're going to get charged $2,500 if the conspiracy. Yes, this is conspiracy, but the conspiracy behind that. Misinformation. If you have misinformation, $2,500 yeah. you can find. <laughs> but the conspiracy behind that is they're just trying to test the waters. A lot of the times you start seeing these things happen early. Like you're like, what the fuck, PayPal? Why would you ever do that? I hate PayPal. Like a lot of people already don't like PayPal. If you're an e-commerce or anything in business, a lot of things go through PayPal and they hold your payments. But they're just testing the waters as in, will you abide by this? Will you Will you not? They're just trying to see. And then all of a sudden, 48 hours later, PayPal is like, oh, we take that back. Like they're just trying to see people's reactions. It's like throwing news out there before news happens. And if you guys looked into any of that at all during the Coco or anything like that, like they were throwing stuff out just to see how people would react. And then they, you know, made things happen. So, well, and they did it, they did it inch by inch. Okay. Yeah. Hey, just a couple weeks, you know, okay. You know, now maybe put a mask on. Oh, Hey, shut down your business. Okay. Stay in your fucking home. Okay. Now you need this fucking passport to fucking travel. And guess what? A lot of you people listening to this right now bought into all the horseshit. Okay. Yeah. So I guarantee you they're going to do some crypto coin or whatnot. And, 90% yeah. of the people are going to be like, oh, I'm not going to lose change anymore. Uh, I'm going to get points. So like, so Zach, I know you're a big credit card guy, but a credit card is very similar. They give you rewards for using this. Okay. They can track all that kind of shit. They can see what's yeah. going on. You know, you know, the, the merchant is going to pay taxes because they can't, you know, lie about some credit stuff unless they're going to get credit fraud. Like it's way harder than getting cash underneath the table. And uh, it's just slowly by slowly. That's why it was so interesting to me. Venmo. Okay. Venmo was marketed at college kids and then it went to like high school kids. So then we got used to it, right? Easy. Oh, you got me a, a, a coffee. Here's five bucks. Oh, you, you bought the beers this night, you know, 20. And then also people started using it for odd jobs. And then they said, Hey, $600. Now you have to pay taxes on this, right? It's a, it's a literally inch by inch and then they slap you and that's, what's going to happen. Right. So, yeah. you know, luckily, I have uh, a lot of these conspiratorial theories, theorist people, you know, they sit on the internet and, you know, get crazy. But I go to countries that uh, aren't quite, you know, up to date with the Western world or what's going on in like Albania here. 
there's maybe one or two places I can use my credit card. Everything is cash, right? And uh, I look at Albania, it's in Europe. Yeah, it's underdeveloped. But, you know, if this is a European country, think about the African countries. Okay, think about South America. Think about, uh, you know, uh, Southeast Asia. Like, uh, you know, these are, it's gonna be very hard to get the whole world underneath this whole system. You know, obviously, if the USA switches, and then the other countries want to follow with the reserve currency and go into some cryptocurrency or whatnot, it might be it might be tough. But there's ways out of this, okay? And there there's places you can go. I think you know there's a the theory. Okay, do you stay and fight, or do you go find you know what is makes you happy at, at the moment? But to get the whole world underneath this, you know, thing, I think it's going to be a little tough. But they did it. You know, yeah. they've done it with the the dollar. So, I mean, they did it with with coco so i mean that's the thing that i mean that's the whole point of these conversations not everywhere with coco the place right right below us uh mexico dan they barely did anything there all their people yeah. were in the mass but it was but fine no one, no one you know you got to be self-aware like people turn on cnn and abc and they believe everything it says like you know what i mean like that's the whole point of these conversations even about the banking system and what's currently going on and cbdc and all this stuff, it's just being aware. As long as you're informed with some type of information to make you think a little bit further than what is being told to you, you know, that's the important thing. The problem with, you know, the Coco is the fact that people heard it and they just believed it. Oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, yo, I'm walking outside, you know, a week after this and I don't see anyone dead. Like no one's on the ground. How is this all of a sudden the black flag? Like you gotta like think like, you know, so that's the whole point is it's just the self-awareness of it. And understanding of it um well isn't that 19, 1984 though it's like uh the the worst thing what they don't want you to do is to trust what you see what you hear what you feel you want to believe in everything else right so not what what you see your reality that is your perception that is unique to every single person that don't believe in you got to believe in uh, our perception what's over here right that's how you that's mass yeah. hypnosis that's uh you know one-on-one persuasion right there but anyways, okay, Zach, give me some uh, some <laughs> pros. So how can we, uh, you know, uh, benefit from this? How can we make money from this? And how can we live free still and uh, be happy? Uh, well, first of all, you got to be aware. You just got to be curious. Honestly, if anything we've talked about, like just start looking things up. Like what is the Federal Reserve? Who owns the Federal Reserve? How does the banking system work? How does infinite banking work? Like you just got to be curious, um, first of all, and just kind of understand certain situations and uh, be self-aware with it. I honestly think that's the most important key to to anything uh, is just kind of the self-awareness piece. In terms of utilizing the banking system, like if you think we're moving towards a digital economy, if you think we might be moving towards CBDCs or, or things of that sort, you should probably try to leverage the banking system while you can or the credit system in itself. Um, because if you can leverage traveling on cheap, that's great. But if you can leverage getting a $50,000 loan and not having to take $50,000 of your liquid cash and use that towards maybe getting into an investment property or getting into Airbnb or utilizing a business credit card to get into, to learn a new skill, whether it be video editing or um, wholesaling or Amazon, it can be anything. I think if you can leverage money that isn't yours and it's the banks, like you might as well try to utilize that because if we move into a CBD, CBDC economy, if we move into a digital currency, 
the rich, as always, will benefit because they own assets in which they can translate or sell. Um, that's exactly why the real estate market goes up and people that own real estate, they get to take direct benefit of that. You know, if their house that they bought for 300,000 is now 600,000, that's a hundred percent gain just by owning something that's physical and tangible. That's an asset. So any way that you can utilize the bank to try to own assets and to own skills, because anywhere you go in the country, anywhere you go in the world, if you have a skill, it's going to translate, it's going to be able to make you money. Um, so I think it's really just being self-aware of, you know, what skills can I build and how can I leverage, um, leverage the system as its current state to help me do that. 100%. Yeah. Leverage USA, leverage the opportunities you were given by being born in the United States. The skills, learn skills, because those are invaluable. Those can uh, create value in the real what world. Think? What do you think? What, what, is, what are your takes? How do you I'm think? You, I'm telling you right now. Is my mic on or no? Yeah. <laughs> leverage, you heard Leverage USA, right? Yeah. Leverage USA, the opportunities, the banking, the credit, all that kind of crap. Um, leverage the, the, the image of the American in, in certain countries, right? So depending on where you go, you could be treated like a celebrity. People still love Americans. Uh, they think uh, the golden ticket. They think a lot of different things. So leverage that. Skills, like you say, because they're invaluable. They can uh, totally directly translate to uh, real world value. Uh, location independent business is 100% what people should be doing. And anyone can with a, a computer. So if you have a regular job, start doing some part-time stuff. Start trying to do an app, start trying to do social media, start blogging, uh, start copywriting. There's so many uh, ways to make money through the internet that you should take advantage of. Um, realize the non-traditional way isn't what it is. So figure out what uh, is going to be the most opportunity now, like what's going on. Obviously, like what I just said, is, is through the internet. You know, these creator economies, the gig economies, figuring out how to uh, provide value, not to like our parents could only provide value with their restaurant to, you know, the people who live there and some tourists that came by. Now you can provide value to fucking 7 billion people. Obviously target market that thing, create a niche and find out who you can sell the best to. Um, <clears throat> get comfortable the being uncomfortable. And I think the best way you can do that is to go travel and you could realize like, oh my God, I can go make some money in the USA and uh, you go buy a property in Mexico and make, you know, 60 grand off Airbnb and live in the one room and live like a king the whole year, right? I know a friend that does that. So, you know, literally take, if you're an American, take what you are given in USA, milk it dry and go outside of it and you'll live very good and everything will be a-okay. So those are my... Uh, options for people and stop listening to all this shit because it's only going to make you go crazy so listen to the only thing that gives you value which this does give you value <laughs> yeah and uh and uh just just go that's what you gotta do start start doing something that's all you gotta do is start i would, I would say there is some actionable like if you're in a position where you don't really know what to do or where to get the knowledge I think honestly, and you're on social media, I'm sure you are if you're somewhat listening to this, you're on Instagram or you're on Twitter. I think Twitter is the best um, to actually get some actionable advice and to actually follow some legitimate people. Create a separate account, a separate social media account, and just follow people that you want to learn from 
or you want to take actionable advice. So get away from what you're used to, the stuff that gets your attention grabbing, that gets you swiping and scrolling for an hour, two hours or whatever. Start, you know, if you're interested in video editing or photography, you're interested in crypto and learning more about the space, like open a Twitter account, a separate Twitter account and start following people that may interest you. You might find them on YouTube or something, watch their videos, follow them, and then find people that you can continue to build knowledge or a foundation of, of knowledge with. I think that's like, if you're just completely starting from zero, I think that's your best bet and um, just trying to understand maybe a route or a decision that you want to go. I think that's huge. Yeah. It's a funnel. Yeah. Like a value funnel, self-improvement funnel where you yeah. just like you get in um, 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 an echo chamber. So I only follow the crypto people. I'm just looking at this. I spend 30 minutes a day on this Twitter account and I'm just soaking it up in uh, same with like a fitness. You have a different account. All you see is fitness and like you spend time on there, read what you got. You know, there's yep. good subreddits out there. Um, I like 4chan for some certain things, but be careful on the 4chan. YouTube people, you know, Google, hey, best fitness uh, smart people and, you know, find a channel you like and try to learn from them. But the biggest thing is you got to do something. You got to post your first reel. You got to try to uh, you learn how to make a website. You got to uh, start practicing your writing. I just did something recently on the Bull Perceptions where I'm trying to do like uh uh, like a memoir, like travel diaries. So I'm taking photos and I'm writing about them, right? And yeah, I want to do it for memories, of course, but also for content, but mainly to improve my writing, right? Because I think that'll be a useful skill skill in the future. And I'm like, fuck it. That's a good little series. People will like it. I can, you know, put stuff down for, you know, the future that I can remember this stuff. And then also I'm going to improve a skill. So just fucking do shit. That's all you need to do is literally throw yourself out there and try to fail. And that's what's going to make it work, right? If you read all the books, if you watch all the YouTubes, if you listen to Bull Perceptions 24-7, which you should, it, it's still you still need to put some fucking action towards it. Because if you don't do no action, nothing is ever going to change. And more than likely, if you read all this stuff, you're going to get more bitter. You're going to get more angry because you're going to see everyone else doing it and you're not doing it, Okay. So then you're going to go into like a, a depression and a dark hole if you don't do shit. You got to take your time, 30 minutes a day, and then do three hours of action, right? Don't yeah. flip it. A lot of people do three hours of action and three minutes of work. Or just start small, 10, 15 minutes a day, you know, just write. And I think that's a good thing. Like you getting into writing, I think it helps a ton even with being able to translate that into your speech or in sales or in talking. It be it's allows you to kind of reference things much better and speak more clearly and concise. Um, that's something I've seen a lot even on Twitter, like people talking about, like they just write all the time just to get better at, you know, writing engaging tweets and being able to speak and talk with people on sales calls. So. I think that's a big thing that a lot of people have lost with the digital economy is reading and writing. And when you read, read older kind of like text, because that's going to have the more general principles where a lot of these newer books. And I saw this just the other day and it kind of clicked from N Naval Ravikant's book. Um, but those general principles are typically regurgitated hundred a thousand times and they're just put in these newer books because people are trying to make money off of it he made a point where if they're trying to make money off a book you're likely better off reading a book 100 years earlier like because those general principles are be better i've noticed it 100 percent if when i'm reading 
and not just uh, Reddit or articles online. It's like actual books. My speaking gets 10 times better. Also, do affirmations. I speak clear. I am articulate. That'll make you speak good. But uh, I, I look at like uh, a Jordan Peterson or even an Andrew Tate. Uh, the way they speak, it wasn't uh, – it's not crazy compared to how people spoke 50 years ago. If you watch YouTube videos about you know how they articulate themselves, how clear they are. But these dudes seem like, oh, my God, they're so smart because they speak this way, even though some of their points are you know basic stuff. Right. That, that everyone is read or, or seen. And but the way they're speaking is like uh, in the past and it makes them sound so good, so charismatic, so persuasive. And uh, I, I totally agree with that is the the speaking will lead you so many different places, especially like sales and persuasion. Yeah, there's a sales group I'm in and he talks about energy. Energy is super important, but you also have to speak to everyone like they're stupid. Uh, because like we've talked about our attention span and our how we learn is so much dumber than it used to be. So you have to speak to people like they are dumb, like they've never even heard of what an apple is, like explaining things to a kid. <clears throat> so that's why I think people like Tate and uh, Jordan Peterson do so well to relate to individuals as well is because they speak and it makes sense. It makes sense to a lot of people, even though they're saying things simple. It's like why Trump translated to so many people as well. He just talked about, we're going to win. We haven't won in a long time, but we're going to win. Like, it's just, it's very obvious. Like, you know what he's saying, and he's not getting in the depths of anything. He's not trying to explain something too strong. Like, it's just very simple and easy to understand. So, yeah, that'll translate with anything. It'll translate with meeting people, with meeting girls, with traveling, with just having good energy as well. And, yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah, we really are doing idiocracy, that that movie where everyone gets dumb over the years. And like Trump was speaking, they said he was speaking at like a third grade level. They also yeah. said the, the voting population was a third grade level of reading. And so he was doing exactly what he had to do. Freaking fascinating. The other part that reminds me is, uh, you know, the new uh, TikToks where they have the words go and they have like emojis. So the guy's talking and they'll have yeah. like an emoji for a word or the words will be like, in the center of the thing and it makes you like look at it but it's like really spelling it out for you and keeping your attention span you have a video going you have words going and um i think that goes to the the point of people are stupid too they can't like just listen and see the mouth they have to see the word too and yeah you i think that have... could be a huge side hustle right now is doing that's video what i did that's what the, yeah, I started I the beginning. Yeah. you could do video clips how many people are trying to be creators right now and don't want to spend the time doing it like I think like if you're working a normal job and just trying to learn how to clip videos, like clip like 10 second videos and doing that, like that could be really lucrative right now. And I heard someone else say that literally last week um, who owns uh, copywriting email, cold, cold emailing business or something like that. And he had mentioned that as well. Like that could be pretty, if anyone wants to jump into that and kind of has a creative side. But. Dude, I would never, the last thing I would never do, uh, the social media, the clipping for bold perceptions until George left and I started having to learn it. But I also started doing some stuff for uh, real estate with um, videos of homes, with uh, podcasting. And I learned how to do this editing in like two weeks. And I thought this was the hardest thing in the world before. I never wanted to do it. And now I can bust out clips within 20 minutes for this real estate stuff. And they're like, oh my God, this is better than the, you know, I've been paying a thousand bucks for this. And I'm like, this shit is easy. It's yeah, crazy. You just do it. 
couple weeks of focus. The problem that I have with some of that stuff is my computer just starts slowing up. I'm like, come on. You got to get the A1 chip. I got the MacBook with the A1 chip. Okay, clean some stuff up. Yeah. So. All right, Zach. Hey, great conversation. Like, we're going to try to do some sort of series, no? Yeah, we can keep talking about uh, absolutely credit, banking. I even love just shooting the shit about just random stuff that's going on. I don't know how often you have that, but yeah. I mean, it's always good to kind of keep up the data things, turn into like a – I don't even know. Well, here you're practicing what you're preaching because obviously you created that free program. Now you're trying to get your voice out there, practice speaking, working on the podcast. So, you know, I can see you're, you're doing what you're saying is uh, you're trying to uh, – improve on this end and i know you want to sell courses or something in the future relating to location independent stuff right where the wind takes me man to be honest i'm 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 kind of in the the same stage of a lot of people there's certain things i know quite a bit about or i like speaking about i think it's really just like having these conversations i think everyone should try to have these conversations rather than the bullshit that you have all the time with your friends is just have you know meaningful conversations understand from each other don't argue with each other uh, I think a lot of people have done that in the last couple of years, just arguing one way against the other. It's just, you know, hey, be open to have a conversation, discuss different business ideas, discuss different opportunities available. You might, you know, find that you're able to meet someone that might help you out or a friend that, uh, you know, teaches you something different as well. So just be open to things, be open to learning and uh, be self-aware, of course. All right, great. Hey, we'll put Zach's um, Instagram in the, the bio. Remember, listen to other people's money. We're talking about credit with Zach about a month ago. And uh, yeah, we'll do it again, Zachariah. And don't get uh, in that tornado or that hurricane that hit in Florida. You're safe, right? Yeah, it was like last week. So I don't think it's I don't think it's making a U-turn anytime soon, but we should be good. All right, cool. Everyone else, live bold. <laughs>